So uh, the hedge funds have gotten a lot of press lately with all of this GameStop um, and <laughs> how it has skyrocketed and then plummeted right after, you know, it was like a few days after the massive rise of GameStop, there was the massive fall of GameStop. And I, I don't want to focus too much on GameStop now because I think it's, I think it is mostly just hype, mostly just speculation. Um, it, it's the type of thing where the goal is kind of to take down hedge funds, but it's, uh, I think, in my opinion, also highly backed by the fact that people want to get rich. And uh, for the people who bought in early and sold, well, it probably worked out very well for those guys. But for the people who bought in at 300 or 200 even, uh, they probably lost a lot of money because I think... GameStop right now is sitting at around 50 bucks per share. And I, I just wanted to talk about volatility for hedge funds this episode. Um, and I don't know why I'm dedicating the third episode to this, but the coverage of hedge funds have kind of started to die down a little bit. And uh, I'll just proceed anyways. So, a very big misconception, I think, of hedge funds is that, you know, volatility is no good for them because, you know, they're highly leveraged, which many of them are. And so, as long as we make the markets more volatile, uh, the hedge funds are going to lose money. And so, they're pushing up stocks like GameStop, they're pushing up uh, AMC, they're pushing up BlackBerry. They're pushing up Silver too, and I'm pretty sure they have all kind of died down now. I don't know if they're going to push up anything in the future, but at least they've stopped so far, and um, maybe they'll begin once again. But other, you, you know, but moving away from that, volatility is not bad for hedge funds. And the reason is because hedge funds are amazing at using uh, derivatives. And especially they have this one trick in their back pocket which is straddling and strangling. Now they're they're pretty similar. Uh, straddling is basically buying a put and call option and to the same amount so you're, it's like buying a dollar of a put option and uh, buying a dollar of a call option and uh, strangling is like buying a different amount because you're somewhat bullish on a company or whatever you're investing in but you also think that there could be a lot of risk and so Maybe you uh, buy a dollar of uh, a put option and you buy two dollars of, of a call option. And so, uh, you know, if you don't know what a put or a call option is, uh, let's say you're buying a call option. 
And so basically, that is giving you the right, but not the obligation. That's a very important thing uh, of a call option. So basically, you're allowed to buy a call option in the future for whatever predetermined market price. And uh, once uh, you're in the future, you could uh, either buy it or not buy it. Now, the thing is, you have to pay fees to your broker, and that could be quite expensive. And so that's what makes up for uh, your ability, I guess, or your uh, allowance. That doesn't make sense. But that's what allows you to not buy the underlying asset if it goes down. So if it goes down and you buy a call option, which is basically saying that you have to buy, let's say you're buying wheat. And so in the future, you want to buy wheat for $20. <laughs> it's very expensive wheat, but let's say $20. And you, you, know, you thought that the price was going up. And so you think it's going to 30 so you buy a call option to buy it in, let's say, a month for $20. And so in a month, if it goes to 30 you could buy the wheat. But if, it, you know, and you would want to buy the wheat. But if in a month it goes to $10, well, then, you know, you don't want to buy the wheat. And so you could basically not buy it and your broker is going to make up for it. And on the put side, it's just the opposite. It's just selling at a you know, predetermined price with the same logic. Now, the reason why your broker is not, um, let's say, bankrupt <laughs> because, uh, because of all of these, uh, you know, you don't have to buy. If it goes up or down opposed to what you want it to do, you don't have to buy. The reason is because your broker charges you all these fees. Now, usually the market is not volatile. Usually the market just moves up very slowly. And so your broker will collect all of these fees from a very stagnant, maybe slightly rising market. But when the asset that you're, you know, uh, putting on or calling on is going up significantly or going down significantly, hedge funds can use straddling or strangling, which is basically you're buying put and call options. So let's say you wanted to call wheat or uh, let's say you wanted to buy a put option on <laughs> on GameStop here. It says $50. You think it's uh, going to the moon. You think it's going to uh, 1000 But let's just say you're only paying 100 for it. And um, so you think it's go. Uh, let's say, okay, not 1000 But let's say you think it's going to 100 And so you buy a put option for... Uh, Sorry, you buy a call option for GameStop, and you also buy a put option for GameStop. Uh, but maybe you buy more 
call options than put options. Well, basically, let's say it doesn't go to the moon and it goes to $10. And, you know, originally, if, if you just bought it with cash, you would be down 40 But you don't have the obligation to buy since, you know, you're, you're, you have options. And that's why it's called options, because it gives you the option to buy or to not buy your contract. And... Basically, once you, uh, let's say, not buy or not sell your losing contract, because, you know, if it goes down, well, then you don't want to buy the call option. You don't want the call option. And so you just want the call option to be uh, not proceeded with. And so with that you're going to make money on your uh, put option, which is basically you betting that this GameStop is going down. So you're buying both put options and call options, but the the downwards drop of GameStop from 50 to 10 is so much that it makes up for way more. You know, it adds up to way more than what you would pay for fees. Uh, for your options. And so if it goes up from 50 to 100, you're also going to make a lot of money uh, buying both put and call options. Let's assume that you buy them equally, uh, which is straddling, because you can refuse to act upon your uh put option and continue your call option. And so basically, uh, the point of this is that volatility here is wonderful for hedge funds when it comes to uh, them being able to use derivatives. And uh, there are also many other factors that also help hedge funds uh, with volatility that a lot of retail investors don't get. They, they don't have these advantages. And one thing is that they have these illiquid long-term investors. And so uh, unlike, let's say, a mutual fund, uh, a hedge fund can, can just keep the money of their investors for a very long time without having to, to return their money, even if their clients want their money back, which is a, a downside of being a hedge fund investor. But you're betting that the hedge fund will outperform the market. And so there's obviously that. And so unlike, let's say, mutual funds, you know, you could basically, you're a lot more free with your money because you're your cash will not be instantly sucked out of your company just because your client wants it back. And of course, talking about clients, you have plenty of very wealthy clients investing in your hedge fund. And so, of course, you're, from that, you're going to get a lot of extended leverage sources.
and you're going to be able to lever way up far further than you know the average retail investor could obviously uh, for example melvin capital they were trying to short gamestop <laughs> they failed quite terribly and um their investors uh 0.72 asset management and citadel they uh poured 2.75 billion dollars into melvin capital and so that that just shows you how much just cash can be injected into these hedge funds in such a short period of time right uh, a retail investor could not do that any you know could not do anything close to that they they can't get 2.75 billion dollars uh, alone just that quickly and of course uh hedge funds have a lot more influence on gaining loans and of course one way of obtaining those loans is through the repo market that they uh go through with banks now the the repo market it, it it's kind of like you could think of it as a pawn like a pawn shop uh where you go and give them your asset and you'll get a short term loan and then after a few days you come back with the money and they'll give you your uh your whatever asset back could be like a you know a pawn shop you know maybe you're putting uh your luxury watch there and they'll they'll loan you cash at a at an interest and uh you know a few days later you come and collect your watch back and so that's basically the repo market uh a very simplified version and uh, a hedge fund could come into the repo market with banks and they could greatly extend their leverage and obviously uh, an average retail person cannot do that like i can't go to a bank uh tell them <laughs> you know you could do a repo with my house and lend me what whatever my house costs you know lend me a million dollars lend me 10 million dollars i i don't know how much your house costs but you can't do that as a as a retail investor and for the average robin hood millennial investor they probably don't have a million 10 million dollars anyways uh, you know they they're probably renting their house and very likely spending their stimulus checks on on GameStop and of course we have uh now we have Dogecoin and i mean even even the founder of Dogecoin i saw he said that uh he could not uh he cannot comprehend how how people are actually taking Dogecoin seriously and why people are actually thinking that it's going to go to a dollar right right now it's at like what 8 cents or something and i mean the founder of dogecoin founded it as a joke and now he's even confused of how it's how it's just going up so high but 
the the point of this uh this episode was just to kind of clear out the smoke for all of those people who thought that you know hedge funds as long as you push everything up you know, hedge funds are always uh shorting the market they're always uh you know they always want everything to go down so as long as you push up every stock uh you're going to kill all the hedge funds and make a ton of money for the little guys that's just simply not true the best way to kill hedge funds is is to have no volatility it's to have you know very slow growth and that's how you make people you know the everyday retailers rich it's through having better companies it's through having better earnings and not just pushing uh you know a near bankrupt stock up and try to you know bring it to the moon because uh, you, you know what comes up if it's not reasonable for it to go up it's got to come down and you have seen that with all of these uh reddit stocks and you will likely see it with <laughs> something like dogecoin although uh that would be very interesting to see